Some of you remember a book I talked about a number of years ago entitled An Abundance of Mangoes. It was written by a lady named Anne Vanderhoof. Anne and her husband Steve lived back in Toronto in the 70s and 80s and 90s. It turned out that Anne was an editor of a magazine. Her husband Steve was a freelance graphic artist who also worked for the magazine. And that made it nice in that they got to drive to work and they'd talk about work and then they'd drive home and they'd still talk about work and it just kind of made it to where they were always talking about work no matter what. And of course, producing a magazine, there's always deadlines, always things that have to be produced. You have all the checklists. You got to get there. You got to get there. And, and after years of doing this together, she really was burned out. She was tired. And it was right in the middle of winter. She hated the winters in Toronto. She said those are the kind of winters that just seem to go on forever. And so one night the two of them were at home commiserating with one another. And one of them came up with the idea and said, what if we just take off for a couple of years and go sailing in the Caribbean? How much fun that would be together. And they said, absolutely, this would be great. Let's just go sail. We can go spend a couple of years. Oh, they just started dreaming about it. And it was so much fun. That night after night, they kept coming back and talking about it. We could do this. We could do that. Finally, though, it was one night that Ann spoke up and said, you know, this sounds like such a great dream, but there are a few issues we have to address. First of all, if we quit our jobs, they're great jobs. What are we going to do when we come back? Number two, how are we going to eat? I mean, where's the money going to come from while we're gone for a couple of years? How are we going to eat? Number three, we don't have a boat. Number four, we don't know how to sail. Other than that, this really does sound like a great idea. And so they just kind of kept talking about it. It was one of those kind of things, you know, one day soon we will. I think I'll one day. Finally, it was Steve who spoke up and said, you know, so many times I've known people who have had a great dream, things they wanted to do, but they never got around to it. They always kept talking about how one day soon they would, but soon isn't a time. And finally, something would happen. Their health, the job, money, I don't know. They never would then have their dream. We need to decide to do this now. And they'd get talking about it and finally decided that the fear of regret was greater than the fear of going. So they decided on a five-year timeline. They decided, we're going to do this. They put together a five-year timeline. First thing we need to do, pay off the mortgage. We've got to get the house paid off so we can rent it while we're gone, and that'll be the cash that'll come into us so we can eat. But it also meant they were going to have to be learning new things. They are going to have to learn how to sail. They had to learn how to navigate. They were going to have to learn CPR. And on top of learning all these new things, they knew they had to be prepared to do all these things they'd never done before. Something for the first time. Overnight passages. Away from land. Sleeping while the boat is moving. All these things. It was in year four. They finally found a boat. It was a 42-foot tartan. It was up in Maine. They bought it, had it shipped to Toronto, and they started to work to repair it. They quickly saw they had to change the timeline from five to seven years. It would take three years to get the boat ready to go. 
and to pay for it. And finally, at the end of seven years, they were ready. And they announced to all their friends, we're leaving. Quitting our jobs, going away for a couple years to go sail the Caribbean. And all their friends said, you're nuts. What are you thinking? You're giving up great jobs. What will you do when you come back? Oh my goodness, it's dangerous out there. You could get hurt. Oh, they really laid it on them. They had to leave quickly. And so it was August 1987. They set sail from Toronto. They came around New York, down to the Chesapeake, down the intercoastal water canal to Florida, jumped out to the Bahamas, enjoyed the Bahamas for a while, and then down to San Juan, over to the Virgin Islands, down to St. Martin, St. Bart's, down to Antigua, Dominica, finally Grenada. They loved Grenada. And then Trinidad. They were now a few miles off the South American coast. And then they traveled all the way back home. They arrived back home in August of 1989. They had been gone almost exactly two years. In that two years, they had traveled 7,000 miles by boat. They had put foot on 46 islands. They had been to Carnival at Trinidad. They had met Nelson Mandela there at one of the islands. They had danced in the sand. They had laughed. They made so many incredible memories. They did so many things for the first time. And now that they were back, they were different people, the way they looked at life. And Anne wrote this memoir about their experiences and all that it took in order to go do this, all the things they were afraid of, all the struggles. But she made a comment at the beginning of the book that I really loved. She said, reflecting upon our journey, what we really see in hindsight is the hardest part was deciding to go. The hardest part was deciding to go. It's easy to talk about someday I'll, someday soon, but to decide to go. That's what makes our scripture lesson significant this morning. Our scripture lesson this morning is one of the most important pieces of scripture in our entire Bible. The story takes place about 10 years after Jesus was crucified. It takes place in Antioch. Antioch was a, a city that uh, had lots of Jews. And a church had begun there. If you remember, in the early days of the Christian church, you were Jewish in order to be Christian. So most of the church was Jewish. And if you read the scripture and you see these names and understand, they tell you the people who were at this church in Antioch were Jews from all over the world. And it says they came together and began to worship and pray and fast and they heard the Holy Spirit say, set aside Paul and Barnabas. And so they laid their hands on them and prayed for them and sent them off. And it says they went down and boarded their ship and set sail for Cyprus. It was the beginning of Paul's first missionary journey. A missionary journey that would change the world. The church had been focused on getting to the, gen to the Jews, being more around the Holy Land. And here we're saying we're going out to the world and we're going to the Gentiles. And it all started here on this passage when it says they decided to go. 
Not someday soon. Now. They got on board and they set sail. The day comes. It's time to begin. Now understand how hard this was for Paul. Don't minimize this. I mean, Paul had been raised a Jew. Paul was a Pharisee. That means he was the lawyer. He was committed to following the law down to the details. Going to keep kosher. All the things you must do to be clean. He was a Roman soldier, which meant he was an incredibly disciplined person. But then on top of all that, now he's saying, I'm, I'm going to go out into the world and I'm going to preach to the Gentiles. I've been told to avoid them all my life. I'm going to tell them they don't have to keep kosher. They don't have to have circumcision as a sign of the covenant. Paul was having to rethink some of his fundamental beliefs. Paul was about to have to learn new things. Paul was about to do something for the first time. This morning, I want to conclude this sermon series. We started it on the very first Sunday of the new year. But it's going to be our theme for this entire year. Something for the first time. It is born out of the question, when was the last time you did something for the first time? And it comes from the belief that as you and I go through life, it is sure easy to get into a routine, to become comfortable with what we believe, how we do things. Sometimes you settle in life, you're not happy with it, but you settle for life. And so you get into that routine. And you and I know that a routine is nothing but a rut. And a rut is nothing but a grave with both ends knocked out. Many people I know are dead long before they die. They've stopped growing and learning and loving life. And so what you and I said we're going to do in the year 2015, our commitment is that we are finally going to confront the areas of our life that need to change. We're going to confront the problems of our lives. We're going to stop dreaming about life and we're going to start living our dreams. And if you do that, I guarantee you, you will have to do something for the first time. And when you do something for the first time, it is scary. It is easy to become afraid because you're doing something you don't know how to do. You're having to learn. You're now risking. It is easy to be afraid. That's why I love it when Paul sets sail from, uh, from Antioch and he goes out on these missionary journeys and years later he is now in prison in Rome and he will write to Timothy. Timothy, the young man who went with him on these early missionary journeys, he will write to Timothy and say, Remember, Timothy, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. Self-control, that is, you have the ability to choose how you will live your life. God has not given you a spirit of fear. You've got power and love, and you get to choose how are you going to do it. I think the question for all of us is, are we committed now, now, to go, to learn, to grow, to experience life, to do something for the first time? As we bring this to a conclusion, today I just I want to say two things, two ideas to leave us with as we launch into this year. First of all, 
If you want to really do something for the first time, if you're ready to grow out and to live and to learn and to grow, the question really is, are you willing to listen to God? Do you want to hear what God has to say? I know the answer is, of course, we want to hear what God has to say. Maybe I should rephrase the question, are you disciplined enough to hear what God has to say? Are you willing to be disciplined to hear what God has to say? I don't know about you, but my life is full. I have my to-do list. I check them off each day. Actually, I love to scratch them. I love a scratch. You get something done. You know, the hours are booked. You're always on the go. And now I've loved my new electronic devices, but it seems like I am at times enslaved to the iPhone, the iPad, the, the computer. You know, I've got to answer the emails and the text messages and, and then the phone calls. And there's something coming at us all the time. Do you ever take the time to listen, to let God speak? Do you really want to hear? In the scripture lesson, it says they worshiped, they fasted. And they prayed, and they heard. It took day after day. This wasn't one moment. It's what they were doing in Antioch. And they worshipped, and they fasted, and they prayed, and they heard. I had a friend who recently sent me an article by Martin Copenhagen. Martin happens to be the president of Andover Newton Theological School. And I, I just wanted to share it with you this morning. I, I want to read you what he had to say about this. In our already overcrowded lives, another space is being taken away. When I was learning to type, I was taught that you should have two spaces after a period before starting a sentence. Now we are told by no less than an arbiter of the Chicago Manual of Style that one space is the norm. The primary reason they cite for preferring a single space is efficiency. Of course, it all comes down to efficiency, as so much seems to these days. They conclude that typing two spaces is inefficient, requiring an extra keystroke for every sentence. An extra keystroke? Well, that is simply too much to ask, don't you think? But I think we need to be fighting for more space, not less. Space gives us breathing room, which is another way of saying that space allows for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. J.R.R. Tolkien told the story of correcting student essays when he came upon a blank page among the papers. He stared at it for a moment, and then he wrote upon it. In a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. It just came to him like a revelation. And that's how he started his book, The Hobbit, the novel that leads into the Lord of the Rings trilogy. But for that inspiration, he needed that blank page, just a little space between all those words. Just a little space. The Holy Spirit can work with that. What I want to ask is if you and I would maybe make a commitment that we're going to create a little space in order to listen. We're going to be disciplined through this season of Lent. It starts this Wednesday. We only have about six weeks before we're going to wind up being up to Easter. What if you and I made a commitment to create a little space so we could listen? 
At the end of the service, we're going to be inviting you to come forward and to place your cards here on the communion rail. Cards where you may have said, you know, these are the things I'm going to do for the first time this year. Here's something I have done. Here's what I'm going to do. But you're also going to come in order to receive a journal. We want everyone here to be able to have a journal. And I want you to take it home. And what I'd like you to do is at the end of each day, until we at least get up to Easter, create a little space, a time to listen, to pray. And we're going to give you some questions to answer each day. For the next week, well, the first two questions are going to be the questions for the entire year. But the first question is, what are you grateful for today? You can find these on the back of your bulletin. What are you grateful for today? We're going to talk about that. Why is it important to be grateful? It changes everything. What did you learn today? What did you do for the first time? The third question is going to change on a regular basis having to do with the sermon series that we're in. We'll give you something new to be thinking about, to be journaling about. But what are you grateful for? What have you learned today or did you do something for the first time? You know, you may take five minutes. Five minutes at the end of the day and you'll review your day, boom, boom, boom. But if there's other things you want to write, I've been talking to God about this. I've been talking to God about that. I feel like God is maybe telling me this. It's your opportunity. It's your journal, just yours, to be able to write whatever it is you want to write. It may take five minutes. You may decide to take an hour, maybe an hour a day, 30 minutes. It doesn't matter. Discipline every day to create a little space. Because if you do that, I promise you by Easter, you're going to hear God speak. God will speak if you and I are disciplined to listen. The people in Antioch got together to worship and they prayed and they fasted and they heard. And we will too. And so secondly, if you decide you really want to to grow and to learn, it will cause you to risk and that can be scary So what's going to be required is trust. You really will have to trust in that prevenient grace. That is the grace that goes before us. The belief that God is there with us, helping us when we don't know what to do. Helping us when we feel overwhelmed. Do you believe in that prevenient grace that goes before you that truly prepares your heart and way? The idea that God is there with you. And if you do, you'll begin to see God move in your life at the end of each day. If you ask the question, what am I grateful for? You'll begin to see, wow, look at how God worked in my life. And you will feel grateful. And the more grateful you feel, then the easier it is to trust. And the more you trust, the more grateful you will become. And it becomes a cycle that helps you to grow strong and being able to go out and truly do those things that seem so overwhelming. It's what enabled Paul to go out. I mean, he was going to leave and go into a world that he had never been before, doing things he had never done, and yet Paul believed it was God who was going with him, that God was with him in all circumstances. At the end of his life, Paul will be in that prison cell in Rome and write to the Philippians, you know, 
I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I've learned how to be abased and abound. I've learned the secret of plenty and want. I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. For Paul, it had been a life, a cycle of trust and being grateful, seeing what God has done, and so I trust. And oh, what he went out to do. What we can do when you trust in that grace. I know some of you will recognize the name Paul Williams. Kind of an interesting sort of man. I've been reading about him recently. Paul Williams, the one I'm talking about is the songwriter, the performer. You remember Paul Williams was so very popular and big in the 60s, 70s, 80s. He stands about five foot two, really a short guy. In the 60s, he had the nice long hair. Now he's 74. I can't believe he's 74. Now he's got the short spiky hair, um, but he is the performer. If you don't remember Paul, well, let me just remind you a few of the songs that he wrote and people sang. An old-fashioned love song, Three Dog Night. Everybody over 35 will know that one. Um, you and Me Against the World, Helen Reddy, Fill Your Heart, David Bowie, We've Only Just Begun, Rainy Days and Mondays, The Carpenters, Evergreen, From a Star is Born, Barbara Streisand, and the biggie, Rainbow Connection with the Muppet movie. Now, in the end, he created 24 albums. He won Grammys, Emmys, Oscars, phenomenally successful songwriter, composer, singer, and actor. But you know, one of the things we sometimes forget is that when people have such fame and talent, they can go home and feel awfully insecure and awfully lonely. I didn't know about this about Paul Williams until just recently, but he struggled with all that. So much so that in the 70s and then the 80s, he started to drink more and more. He finally was drinking out of control, became an alcoholic. And then he started using cocaine and doing vodka. And he would go through these periods of being sober and being able to produce and perform and then not. It was actually in the fall of 1989, Paul Williams came to Oklahoma City to perform. And he explains that he had been drinking vodka for two days straight and doing coke for two days straight, had not been willing to go to sleep, drinking and snorting. And he had one of those moments where he just crashed, where he's seeing things coming out of the walls, attacking him. The monkeys were biting his ears as he's running down the hall. These are the things you start seeing and thinking. No, he had a total meltdown. When the producer of the, of the show here, the promoter of the show, saw him, he knew Paul could not perform. They had to postpone it, and they postponed it for a day. And that way they made sure they kept him off all booze and all drugs for at least 24 hours, and he was able to get out on the stage and perform. He explained to us here in Oklahoma City, he had had a reaction to his medications. He apologized. He performed. Then he headed back to L.A. to his own home where he was alone. And the next two weeks he started drinking and doing cocaine again. It was so bad he was in a blackout. He does not remember any of that period. But it was during that two weeks that he made a phone call. Doesn't remember it. But he made a phone call to a doctor and did something for the first time. He said, I need help. I need to get into rehab. And the doctor got him into rehab, and that was the beginning.
That was the beginning. And he has now been sober for 25 years. Once he got sober, once he was able to pull it back together, he became so committed to trying to go around and talk to people about addiction, how it happens, how you get out of it, how you deal with it. He was so passionate wanting to help other people because he believed it is so prevalent and you just don't see it. We believe that. That's why we started our own program, Faith Partners. It is our addiction ministry that we started last year here at St. Luke's because we wanted there to be a place where people could say, I need help. I need to do something for the first time. I've got to learn and grow and I've got to face this problem. We wanted to be able to do that in a family of faith. Well, Paul was working hard at doing that. He went back to working, writing songs, and he was very busy running around the country. Several years had gone by. He was actually in Tennessee. And that night he got through and he went up to his hotel room. He'd been speaking to a group of recovering alcoholics. He went up to his hotel room feeling pretty good, and then that electronic key wouldn't work. You know how frustrating that is. And he got all upset about it. But sometimes... Always know that those frustrations maybe are just the beginning of a grace moment. He went back downstairs to get a new key, got to the front desk waiting to get it when he felt a tap on the shoulder and he turned around and there was the promoter from Oklahoma City. He hadn't seen him since that night. And when he saw him, he immediately said, I'm so glad to see you. I just got to tell you, I got it together. I'm finally sober. I've stopped and he started going on about all his doing And the promoter finally stopped him and said, Paul, I know, I know, I've heard that you're clean. But then he told Paul some things he didn't know. What Paul didn't know was this promoter was a recovering alcoholic himself. That he had been sober for seven years before that night when he met Paul. And when he saw Paul that night and what was going on, the first thing he did was go call a group of his friends who were recovering alcoholics and ask them to start forming a prayer chain to pray for Paul's sobriety. And Paul Williams will tell you, he believes that it was because of a group of recovering alcoholics in Oklahoma City, people he had never met who were praying for him, that he found the courage and the ability in the middle of a blackout to call for a doctor and say, I need help. I need help. He said, it changed my life. For Paul, he believes very much in this grace of God that works in your life. And he said, you know, overcoming this addiction and these challenges, it hadn't been easy. And quite often he says to himself, I don't know how to do this. But something inside me does. That's the Holy Spirit. I don't know how to do it. But something inside me does. So he said, I'm not afraid. Because I realize I'm not alone in confronting the issues. And he said, as I begin to discover this and try and things begin to change, I could look back and I saw how God was moving in my life like a group of people praying in Oklahoma City for my sobriety. And I gave God thanks. And he said, what I discovered is the more grateful I became, the easier it was to trust. And the more I trusted, 
and the more grateful I became. And he said, those have become the two words in my life that have defined my life for the last 25 years. He's written a book now about his life, and it simply is entitled, Gratitude and Trust. I believe that's what enabled the Apostle Paul to say, today is the day. Not someday soon, not someday in the future. Today we set sail into the unknown to learn things we're going to, for the first time, to experience something for the first time. We trust and so we go. And Paul could look back with an incredible sense of gratitude. As you and I begin 2015, if we are serious about wanting to learn and to grow, if we're serious about confronting the problems of our life, confronting the things that we need to change, if we're serious, we want to stop just dreaming about our lives and we want to start living our dreams, then you need to create a little space to listen, to hear God speak. And then you have to go in trust and in gratitude. It's where you will find the courage to make the decision to go now. Not soon, now. Now is the time to do something for the first time. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.